If you would open to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Well, we're, our focus this morning will be Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And I want to read beginning in verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Therefore, here's our focus now this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to to gather in a place like this, together as a redeemed people. As we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, grant us understanding more, more greatly this morning. Prepare the hearts of your people coming in throughout the county to arrive safely as we worship together, in your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, we've been considering over the last uh, 12 weeks um, the church um, in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, um, what our life together is to be like, what it is that is to characterize our relationships. Um, how we're to exercise gifts, the gifts bestowed to us sovereignly by God, and how we're to um, use those on behalf of one another. Uh, We were reminded um, on a number of of occasions through through our studies that um, it is an unacceptable contradiction to to claim God as your Father and simultaneously um, reject the church as your mother, for we are the bride of Christ. We are his church. We are the people of God, his redeemed, and in his sovereign grace, he's called us um, out of the world uh, and to himself. There is, of course, nothing that we do to be regenerated. Nothing whatsoever. There's nothing we do in our justification. Both regeneration and justification are the monergistic work of God. It is the one-way work, the sovereign work of God. We, we play no part in it whatsoever. Uh, we are acted upon, and, and justification and regeneration are accomplished by God alone. 
Only the, the Holy Spirit can, can bring spiritual life out of death. We have been born again. We have been born from above. And only the righteousness of God in Christ can, sir, can, can secure a justified position in Christ. So that is what's imputed to us. That, that is the sole sovereign work of God. Solitary, one-way work of God. We're reminded in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, that transforming power of grace um, grants us many privileges. We've looked at them also over the past 12 weeks. First, um, there is a people to whom we belong. We are fellow citizens, amen? We, We belong to one another because we belong to God as a redeemed people. Secondly, grace transforms us into members of the household of God. These are great privileges we have. We are of the household of faith. And that household of which we are members is eternally secure. We've looked at that. That uh, we, we have a foundation that goes deep down through the apostles and the prophets standing on the cornerstone himself who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And as a people of God, as as a part of an eternally secure structure, that structure is still growing, amen? For we are the temple of the living God. We are living stones that make up the temple of God. And and that that, that temple continues to grow every day as he calls sinners to himself from out the nations of the world. Beautiful picture. So now the question is, how how is it that, that we, as one part of the whole, are to grow. The church is growing numerically. He, he, he builds it himself. So how do we grow? What do we need so as to grow? That, that's what we're after this morning. Now, we, we understand we're saved by grace alone. We're, we're justified by faith alone. But having been saved, we just don't simply wait around to die. Amen? Amen? We don't remain idle, nor do we expect to be sanctified by just letting go and letting God. Amen? We understand the distinction, the difference between justification, regeneration, monergistic. Some people say, you don't need to apply any effort to your sanctification. After all, your sanctification is a matter of looking more intently at your justification. True or false? False. Granted, we want to look continually back to the cross. We want to see our justified position in Christ, that it's by the sole solitary work of God alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. But these people who try to encourage you to say, you know, Christian, you don't need to worry about effort. In, in your walk with God, because God accepts you, so there's really no change necessary in your life. True or false? False. Christianity is also about spiritual growth. That stuff is taught today. 
And growth, spiritual growth, involves effort. Hard work, amen? It's the hard work of sanctification. Now, while justification is monergistic, sanctification is synergistic. We'd agree with that? It's a synergistic work because both God and we, as God's people, are doing something. That's what we're after. God wills and he works according to his good pleasure regarding our progress in holiness. Look at the first word of verse 12. Now, uh, Paul, having shown us who Jesus is, imagine he, he's, turning, he's turning the diamond of our Lord Jesus Christ under the light, if you will, as regards his person and his work, displaying his glory in verses 5 through 11. He now says to us, therefore. Therefore. There's always a therefore with every glimpse of the majesty, the glory, the grace, and the beauty of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, therefore, there are implications. Therefore, there are consequences. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, writes Paul, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work is the product of salvation. Work is the fruit of regeneration and justification. That's what he's saying. Work, by way of faith, is to grasp or have a firm grasp of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, it's simply another way of, of saying be obedient. It's another word for obedience. It's really all it is. Look at the text again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your salvation. Obedience is what it is, what it is to work out your salvation, basically. To live out the reality of the saving grace of God um, in our lives. So Paul tells us it's not a matter of, of passively you know, being carried away by the Holy Spirit. Just being carried away by the Spirit of God, and you do nothing. Work out your salvation. That, beloved, is hard, relentless work. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, it's hard, relentless work. You trying to earn anything? No. This is in response to what he does. He says, work this out. There are no passengers who are carried along passively in their, in their sanctification. This is an engaged activity. This is a diligent pursuit. Uh, It it involves a lot of labor. It it involves a lot of sweat on a day-to-day basis. Daily effort. This is not an effortless endeavor, as many teach today. 
This is really a hot topic, especially about four or five years ago. I think it's fading out a bit. So, having a clear grasp of the glory of God in Christ Jesus um, helps us to understand that, that we must work out, not work for, but work out that which he has worked in. We're not working for anything. We're not attempting to gain the favor of God, as we shall see. Paul here is seeking to awaken slumbering Christians who think that the Christian life is just a passive thing. It's not. He's seeking to awaken us, all of us, all believers, to the reality that, that uh, the, the Christian life is, is, is a work of labor in honor of Jesus Christ who saved us. In honor of the Lord. He, he gave us all. We, we just read in verses 5 through 11, he, he held nothing back. He gave of himself fully, completely. He, he humbled himself. He lowered himself. He came out of heaven. He became a human being. And then he laid down his life. Not only that, but, but he did it on a Roman cross. He did it by way of crucifixion. He laid down his life. He, he gave it up on our behalf. So again, salvation is something we must work out. We work from it. We don't work for it. It's under, important we understand. It's very important that spiritual growth has nothing to do, again, spiritual growth has nothing to do with your position in Christ. Your position in Christ is unwavering. It is unchanging. Conversion is an instantaneous miracle of the Holy Spirit. As the wind blows to and fro, Jesus says, you do not know where it comes from nor where it goes, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's the mysterious, powerful work of God. He places us into the body, it's just a marvelous, instantaneous miracle. And your sanctification, your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your position. It's settled. It's done. Also, spiritual growth is not a matter of God's love for you. After all, when we read Romans 5, what do we see there? While we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were enemies of God, while we were alienated from God before we ever came to the Lord Jesus Christ by way of faith. He already loved us. So your spiritual growth has nothing to do with the love of God in Christ for you. Okay, We have to understand this. It's very important. There are no grades or degrees of love with God for his people. the level playing field. You're either in Christ and he loves you as he loves Christ or you're outside of Christ. Okay, so spiritual growth has nothing to do with our position. Spiritual growth has nothing to do uh, with God's love for us. Thirdly, spiritual growth is not a matter of accumulated knowledge. We need knowledge, amen? Amen. But, but knowledge alone, 1 Corinthians 8, does what? Puffs up. And sometimes we equate spiritual mat- maturity with what we know. You can know a lot 
and be incredibly immature, incredibly immature. You become a very prideful individual, and pride, spiritually speaking, retards growth. So spiritual maturity is not merely based on accumulated knowledge of the truth, of the Lord, right, of his word, of doctrine. Those are all good things, and we need to know those things, and we need to grow in those things. But, but that alone it does not equate to spiritual maturity. Also, spiritual growth is not a matter of activity, being busy in the church. You can be busy and want to be seen in every scene, want to be S-E-E-N in every S-C-E-N-E, <laughs> amen, and not be mature. But you're busy. Being busy for the kingdom is a great thing. We all have learned over the week we should, we, we, we should serve. And we all serve, everyone in here just serves in different areas, and it's great. So it's not a matter of mere activity. Also, spiritual growth is, is not a, a matter of positive circumstances in one's life. <sighs> Many people equate their, their economic situation with God's love poured out upon them, God's favor poured out upon them, or because they have good health, uh, they make a good, decent living, you know, and all their kids are just in a, in, a row, in a row like little ducks, all doing a bunch of good stuff. God's blessed us. That does, that's God's blessing for sure, but that doesn't equal spiritual maturity. Positive circumstances. Amen? Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Along with other letters he wrote, locked up for being obedient. Was he blessed? According to him, he was blessed. So your, your position in Christ is perfect. You're complete in Christ. We have all things that per- pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies already. Ephesians chapter 1, already. Spiritual growth, is, it's very simple. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is simply living my life in a way so that my practice, that is my, my progress in, in, in my practical life, spiritually speaking, corresponds with my position in Christ. So here's my position, it's absolutely perfect. And I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ with the desire to to practice my life, to live my life practically in a manner that corresponds to my position. By faith. According to the word, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual growth is. So he says, work out your salvation, notice, with fear and Trembling. Two dangers to be avoided here when we think about fear and trembling. First, there are those who have a very small, trivial view of God. You've probably met these folks. They have no category for fear and trembling. Zero. They merely see God as this tame, 
indulgent, safe, grandfatherly figure who winks, kind of shakes his head a little bit. Those crazy rascals every time we run in disobedience. That's how they see God. He's just there to bail us out when we need him. But fear and trembling in their mind, that's an inconceivable concept. That's one error. The other extreme to avoid is having this high, exalted view of God, which, which we ought to, but having, as some do, such exalted views of God's glory and his purity and his sovereignty and his holiness that rarely are they able to see the tenderness of God and the love of God in Christ Jesus. So they walk around just terrified, scared of God. That's another extreme. And to them, fear and trembling means to be so afraid of God that any time we mess up, he might move his, his hand of grace from our lives. Pull the rug out from underneath us. So therefore, they seek obedience to God for fear that, that he will dismiss us and we'll be done forever. So you're just constantly scared of God. So we want to avoid both of those, amen? Both of those are horrible distortions of the character of God. What Paul has in mind here is the fear and trembling in the heart of a child who knows they're loved by their father and who deeply loves their father in return. Where where the worst thing imaginable is to grieve the love of your father. That's the idea. The one who adores them. That's how we want to think of fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says. So this, this proper understanding, this kind of understanding of the love of God makes sin all the more sinful and all the more uglier in our minds when we understand God like this. So we'll grow to, to loathe sin, hopefully. And you, you won't be able to you know, meddle in it or, or stand in the mire too long when you have a proper understanding of God's love and his grace and you, you, you fear and tremble him in, in that way. Work out then your salvation, he says, with fear and trembling. It's a very healthy view. So, so that's our responsibility. Work it out. He's worked it in monergistically. We work it out synergistically. We're dependent upon him. He empowers us. And notice, this is our responsibility, but notice Paul balances this out. This is a strong exhortation of diligence and effort. Is is it not? Strong exhortation. Work it out. Notice, because. Notice the text. Because. Because. Work it out with fear and trembling. Because God is at work in you. In you. Now that encourages, I don't know about you, that encourages me. (laughs) 
You, 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 you might have expected him say, to say, you know, continue to obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because if you don't, you're in trouble. <laughs> and you're on your own. That's not what he says. He says, do this because God is at work in you already. Present tense, not past tense. Amen? He, he doesn't say, he, he saved you, now go be obedient. He, he, he did a work in you. Remember, he justified you. He did a work in you. He regenerated so you, so now go sanctify yourself alone. Right? No, he doesn't say that. He has changed you. And he is changing you. And ultimately, he will change you. So the journey could be long. You could become a Christian on this day and die later in five days, and then you enter into the perfected state. That's fast sanctification. Fast forward sanctification. Most of us get saved here, and it's a long pilgrimage, amen? The sanctifying process until we enter into that perfect state. But he's with us. Whether it's five days, five years, 50 years, or more, he's working. We've been changed by him. And Paul doesn't say, keep on going, keep on, Christ- keep on pursuing Christian maturity and fear and trembling because you've already been changed. Now the onus is upon you to continue to change yourself. He says, no, God is at work in you now to change you, and he is changing you. So be engaged with him. That truth keeps me from despair. That truth keeps me from driving myself over the edge. (laughs) Amen? So he, he says he's not finished with you yet. He is at work in you because he is in you. And guess what? He, he's for you. He, he called you to himself, so he has to be for you. He's in you. He's, he, he's for you. And this is all for his pleasure and his glory. So remember that the power to obey does not originate in you. It does not originate in me. You don't have power in and of yourself. Praise God, amen? So it's a comfort to know he, he, he provides the strength, he supplies it, and the grace. So that this, this holiness, which, which is what we're called to, what we're called to be holy, it's my responsibility, it is my duty, that's your duty, but also... He's promised that he's committed to us. This is a pledge to me. This is a pledge to you. This is a pledge to to the body of Christ that he's doing the work. I am in you. So therefore, I'm working in you. Therefore, I I call you to work it out. I call you to work out what I've worked in. And again, this keeps us from the brink of despair. 
So it's very comforting. It's encouraging to know that the pursuit of the Christian life is to know that God is not done yet. The work he has begun in us, he's faithful too. Hello? Hello? To complete the work. Amen. Amen. And that enables me to want to do it. Right? The Spirit, He's in us. He, he directs us back to the truth. We always have to be looking outside of ourselves, not to what we can do, as we'll learn this morning, ceremonially, you know, or showing up at church. This is where I get cleansed. No. It's not this stuff, you like the Lord's table this morning. Well, I'm going to come now, and this thing I do and participate in now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cleansed or whatever, or I'm going to earn more of God's favor by doing this. Is that the case? No. You're, you're cleansed once and for all in Christ, positionally. Practically, yes, we, we, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us relationally, communally, and in our communion with him. has nothing has no effect in our union. Amen. So understanding he's working in me, we, we continue to fail, we may stumble, trip, fall down, but because he's in us, he, 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 will, he will persist and insist that we get up, and by faith we get up again and we continue because he's in us. He's for us. So he says, work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he promises that that he will strengthen me so that I can say no to sin and rebellion. I'm enabled to say no. I am enabled to to, to turn from it. And I am enabled, okay, uh, that abiding relationship Ray talked about last week, He's the vine, we're the branches. We abide in the vine. All the life is in the vine. There's no life in the branch in and of itself. All the life comes through the vine, and fruit comes out, it appears, as we abide in the vine. It's an abiding relationship. So we work it out with fear and trembling. That's our responsibility. That's our duty. And yet, we do not have to attempt to do this in our own strength. We just prayed this morning, I prayed with the elders, that um, everything we're going to do today, it would be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do this on your own. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can obey. I mean, you, you think now as you've battled day by day uh, with besetting sin. Anyone that doesn't have besetting sin in here, you don't have to raise your hand but you can come and talk to me afterward and we'll set you straight that you have besetting sins. <laughs> Sometimes you wake you go, how, how can I find, how, how do I find myself here again? Right? In, in whatever that is. Here I am again. God says, look, you can take rest. I am at work in you. I, I am at work in you. I'm working in you to will and to work for my good pleasure. I will not desert you. I will not allow the stalking temptations of the evil one who is out seeking whom he may devour. I will not allow the enemy power to conquer you. 
I will not allow remaining sin to ultimately defeat you. Think of Peter. Peter, I've prayed for you, okay? Lord, I'll never leave you. If they, if they can all depart, I won't. Peter, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But you know what? What did Jesus say? I have I prayed for you. Okay, Jesus prayed for you, you know that? Jesus intercedes for you. I don't think that means he's praying for us. He, he intercedes for us. He, 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 he stands representing us for eternity, right? He did pray for you in, in, in John 17, the high priestly prayer, which has eternal significance. It's always being answered. He will give you strength. So here is incentive. Here is encouragement to, to press on, to not, to not grow weary. And, you know, one of the keys to understanding um, in experiencing spiritual growth is found in 2 Peter 3. I'll, I'll just read it to you. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So that's a command, grow. Growing in, in, in the grace and knowledge of God is equated with giving glory to God. So as we grow in Christ by faith and in the knowledge of Christ by faith, and that's why we're here this morning, amen? God is being glorified. So the master key, if you will, to, the, to, to this process of spiritual growth is understanding what it means to glorify God. Westminster Confession of Faith, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And everything ultimately will glorify God in the end. So as he works in us, we also work relying on, and here it is, his means of grace. Okay, so he gives us a command. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He, 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 he tells us, it, we read here, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when he commands us to do this, he, he, he doesn't leave us alone. He provides means of grace. He provides avenues of grace for us to be able to do this, that which he commands us to do. Amen? So a means of grace is a tool. A means of grace is an instrument that, that God uses to strengthen us and to nurture us so that we can grow in conformity to Christ. And one of those means of grace is this right here. The gathering of his people. What we're going to do this morning. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. That's one thing. And we learn along the way there's no shortcut to sanctification. Amen? There's no mystical thing that you can do to, to, to cut short the process because sometimes the process seems so long that in the process it seems that I don't see any real visible results. Have you ever felt like that? 
So, just to close, some means of grace that are provided for us. Corporate gathering together of God's people. To sit under the word preached. Amen? To pursue him. Here's one. And I think I'll close next week with this. To pursue him in prayer. That's a means of grace. That's an avenue of God's grace for us to grow into the image of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. To sit under the word, to hear the word preached, we gather together to worship together, to pursue him in prayer. And stewardship, giving, that's a means of grace. If you don't give regularly to church, you're denying one of God's means of grace, an avenue of grace. You are. Worship, word preached, pursuing him in in prayer, stewardship, you know, tithing and then giving here and there as as God leads, giving offerings and so on, and service. And however we're gifted, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a cleaner, service. All of these are our means of grace. And God uses them to, to strengthen us and to nurture us, to grow us, to mature us. And again, this is a process. Sometimes it seems very slow, amen? Take heart. Take heart. Again, the work he has begun, he's faithful to complete that work. So casually attending, to being casual or lazy about God's um, means of grace uh, will not result um, in, in, in maturity. If, if you think it takes long enough when you do take hold of God's means of grace, it'll take even longer when you don't. <laughs> Amen? That's miserable. So let us attend regularly to God's means of grace. Amen? And just remember, though it may be slow, though it may seem unnoticeable as we live by faith and walk by faith, take heart because it is sure. Because he is at work in you. Amen?